See, this is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize that this is play. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. It's Flashback Friday again, where we bring you the greatest hits from the TFC Audio Project hosted by the Foot Collective's Canadian founder, Nick St. Louis. In this episode from 2020, Nick chats to Brian McKenzie, an innovator in human performance on stress adaptation. They discuss breathing, how he got into breath, and the physiology of respiration. They also touch a bit on mental health, and they finish by talking about what it means to be a health storyteller. And this week's episode is also brought to you by our brand new TFC community. It's a completely free online space that we like to think of as a private community hall for humans to learn, connect, share, inspire, and support one another on the journey to foot freedom without the usual distractions of social media. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential. To join us, just head to thefootcollective.com, and you'll find the link in our show notes as well. Hello, wonderful humans. Nick here for another episode of Health Conversations, and our guest today is Brian McKenzie. Brian's an author. He's the founder of Power Speed Endurance. He's a big time nerd when it comes to understanding breath. Uh, and he's just an all around badass human. So Brian, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. We're all busy. Yes. But... <laughs> you got Trying to be less busy. <laughs> the, the, those, those of us that give a shit, you know, we're all busy and we could be busier, but you know, yes, it's all agreed. good, man. You're doing good work. So I'm, I'm more than happy to get thanks. involved with you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Well, how yeah. about, for those who don't know who Brian McKenzie is, why don't we just yeah. start with the Coles notes of who you are and what gets you out of bed every morning? Because I think, you know, we'll get into deeper into your story, but if someone just wants to get a brief intro of who you are before we dig into the weeds, um, why don't you go for that and then we'll get, we'll, we'll dig into it. I, I am an adult child that, that is curious. That's <laughs> uh, it. I, I am, and I'm very anti- um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sheep. Like I, I just, I don't fit in. I, I shouldn't probably say that. I don't like traditional ways of doing things. Although there are very important traditional things I follow. I'm just not somebody who will follow where everybody's going. You know, um, I, I was one of the first people who was on to this whole like foot thing, you know, like that I remember. You know, yeah. um, there wasn't a whole lot of people talking about fucking being minimalist or barefoot in the endurance world when I got involved in it. And, um, you know, very, 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 very few. But but they were called like they all had this. Um, uh, the, their first name started with barefoot. So barefoot, <laughs> barefoot, Ken, barefoot fucking uh, barefoot Ken, um, who's actually the grandfather. I think he's the grandfather of all these guys. Uh, you know, I knew him. Uh, he used to come to my track workouts and we would talk feet. This guy had the most beautiful feet in the fucking world. And I was like, Jesus, you know, but mm -hmm. Romanoff got me into um, minimalist footwear back in 2001. Cool. Um, you know, and so I was kind of 
I've always been somebody who's gravitated towards how do we look at this differently versus mm -hmm. like, why are we all looking at this the same way? Why, you know, like what's up with that? And so that's curiosity has led my education. That's maybe my favorite intro, a curious child trapped in a, an adult's body or whatever you said, but I loved it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I, de I definitely remember even before sort of I embarked on this whole foot journey, which I'm still very much on. I remember seeing you and Kelly doing videos about the foot and it blew my brain up. I was like, holy shit, this is an important body part. We learned nothing about it. And these guys are preaching simple things that are just really, really kind of opening up my mind to the fact that we need to pay attention to this area. So you were, yeah. kind of, you were definitely part of the, uh, the founding. The funny thing, the funny thing about Kelly is that when I met him, he had what we called knee cancer and <laughs> It was because every time he run, he ran, he got knee cancer. Gotcha. <laughs> His knee hurt. Yes. And when and I met him, he was in North Face hiking shoes that had inserts in them. Wow. And I was like, I took his shoes and I threw them. <laughs> I was like, "There's your problem, first problem, you know." And uh, nice. anyway, but he 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 was intelligent enough to totally understand all of that and take it to an entirely new level. So, which of which he's done. Very cool. And at the start, you said, I don't like traditional ways of doing things. And it's almost that word traditional, we almost have to like, go into layers because traditional, the way that things are currently done, people look at it as traditional, but traditional was like, how about a 1000 years ago? That's the shit. That's yeah. really what we need to reconnect with. Yeah. That's the true traditional stuff. Conventional bullshit has gotten really far off track. So, um, you know, this is the foot collective, but I, I want to talk about other things today. And one of the yeah. things I'd love to talk about, you know, you came on my radar a while ago, like I said, through Kelly. Uh, I bought your book, Unbreakable Runner, which was tremendous. I really loved Thank it. You. And, and then Thank I read you. your book with Galpin called Unplugged, which I want to touch on a couple of elements of that a bit later. But um, let's talk about how you got into breath and mm -hmm. you know, maybe some of the wisdom that you've gained by being in that space with Art of Breath. But maybe just like, how did you get into breath in the first place? Like what brought you to that being an important element? Has this been something that you've, has been on your radar for a long time or was this recent or maybe share a bit about that? Um, in the last decade, I, I've been interested, really interested in it. I was introduced to the concept of breathing 20 years plus years ago mm -hmm. um, in yoga. Gotcha. <laughs> just did, I, I just was there to get flexible though. So I just wasn't listening. Right. I don't think, I don't think you're alone by the way. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I know, unfortunately. And, um, I don't think there's many people who actually are in, invested in yoga that actually even understand that today. Mm -hmm. Like there, are, I mean, I've gone and taught in yoga shalas about not just the science, but the reality of what breathing does and how it does it and this is all stuff that's been written and talked about with inside the yoga world for five thousand years or more and and right. a, most of the greats like the iyengar you know the iyengars had were really adamant about it and how it worked and what was happening with it um not to take anything away from anybody but i got involved really involved in it because i was curious and i questioned something and i questioned the training mask and it said elevation training mask and i was like that's not going to change how you that's not that doesn't change air pressure and there's no way that mask is changing how I, my oxygen concentrations work mm -hmm. inside the bloodstream uh nonetheless i put the, i put the mask on and when i put it on i instantly sat up to, dr to 
draw breath in, mm. right? So I, because I needed more access to my diaphragm because there was resistance being put on how I was drawing air in. And right. so the diaphragm then quickly, we quickly became aware of the fact that the diaphragm is the most important muscle in the body. And it is that we believe this because we need oxygen to move energy. And right. so that muscle is connected to how our spine articulates. And so when that spine is not organized well, that diaphragm can't work well at all. And so we compromise that position. And so that instantly changed how I started thinking about breathing. And then I started looking at the physiology. And then we started really understanding how the physiology worked around breathing. And, you know, ventilation control to a large degree. Like if we manipulated breathing, what was happening? Then, you know, it was like, I, I started playing around with like things like Wim Hof method very early on, um, holotropic breathing, um, you know, got into uh, Tumo, um, a bunch of different methods that were out there. And then it was like, wait, I, these are really advanced things. I should probably be, we should probably be looking at things because I, I've done this dance before where I just jump way ahead and started doing things that like, you know, like looking at how elite athletes train and going, Oh yeah, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do two a days and I'm going to do that. You know, you know, um, so we took a step back and I started noticing some things that people didn't really respond the same way to the same breathing protocols fairly early on. Hmm. And I was, we were doing group breathing exercises and people would, you know, some people would be, they'd get emotional, meaning they start crying. Some people get emotional in the fact they got angry like it just started triggering things very differently with their, with people, but everybody kind of enjoyed to some degree what was going on. But so I just started die that, that triggered me to start looking at, looking into the neuro neurobiology of it. And I got, I got versed enough. I got educated enough to understand some pretty gross things about it. Meaning, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that truly understand um, there. I mean, that doesn't take away. There are, plenty of scientists and PhDs out there, but it's not a whole lot of people that understand ventilation and how it's tied into the brain. And so I started looking at that and then we started run, I started figuring out how to fingerprint people and breathing protocols that worked for them, how to manage stress, how to actually maximize performance. Um, and then it, it just, it kind of snowballed and I ended up getting, you know, um, pulled into research at Stanford medicine with now my good friend, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, um, you know, he, he found, he sought me out because he saw the work that I was doing and we were doing and how to actually design reading protocols specific to populations or specific groups of people. Um, and he was studying fear at the time. Um, I've worked with Andy Galpin, my co-author on book number three, uh, worked at his work with him at his lab. Um, and then done some stuff with some firefighters out of Kentucky and then were involved uh, uh, studies on hold just because of COVID, but out of San Francisco state on the gut microbiome and breathing. And, and so all of these um, studies and research that we're now kind of getting involved with, you know, we um, are, are, are stepping stones to where we want to be because we're, we're, we're probably 10 years ahead of where this research is going to be. And that's, cool. that, and that's what people really need to understand about any research is that research is so far behind, but it's giving people an indication of, hey, yeah, this is some valid information that pertains to this particular 
uh, instance of what's going on. So that's, you know, a lot of the stuff we're doing right now. And then, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm mainly tied into this because of the performance aspect of it in mm -hmm. that bre a breath practice is not what people actually think it is. Um, and it's funny because I, I, I do a lot of these <laughs> and people who actually are in, invested in the breath space and they always want to start. They're like, yeah, let's have a, let, let's start with a breathe. And I'm like, what, a, what does that mean? <laughs> Isn't that awkward? Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is a little bit. Like, I'm like, what, like, what, what's your breath practice, dude? Like mine's right now. Right. I'm in it. I am in it. Mine's like, all day. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it is. And that's what, what, it, what's, what's occurred. And that's what I think of people missing. And this is why I think there's such a dissociation with people in any sort of medium, right. Or, or exercise that they're, or, or practice that they have is it becomes this thing that has to be special, special. Right. And it's not right. It's the foundation that everything is. is. And it's, and I like what you said about yoga too, because I think, I feel like yoga started as a breath practice that oh, also had, had, that also had physical movement. And now it's mm -hmm. turned into a flexibility practice that you move a bit. And sometimes you remember to breathe. And it's such a weird transition that's happened as yoga has kind of exploded. But, and it's very interesting that you're looking at the microbiome and breath. And I, I've always kind of had this itchy feeling thinking that if you go deep enough in any area of physiology, in any area of the body, mm -hmm. you're going to hit a breath roadblock at some point. You're going to hit breath mm -hmm. as a significant rate limiting step for any element of physiology. And why do you think it's so overlooked? Because I, I know some really advanced movement practitioners that are mm -hmm. super, they just, they nerd out hard, they work, right? Because they actually live what they teach. They don't just teach stuff. They share from their experience and they have a deep ass connection with their experience. Why do you think breath and, and some of these movement practitioners don't really, you know, you ask, do you have a breath practice or what is, how do you incorporate breath or how do you use breath? And they're kind of like, well, yeah, if someone's breathing heavy, I'll kind of get them to relax a bit. I'm like, really? You're into everything else. You're deep into everything else. And what do you think is the blind? What do you think causes the blind spot when it comes to breath and having like a pragmatic, but also an in-depth understanding of breath as something that affects everything else? Why aren't we aware of this? Uh, a couple, a couple of things. You know, one, I don't want to try and you know take people's passion away from them. And I understand they get we secularize ourselves pretty quickly you know, with right. things. And look, I'm not like all of a sudden I'm this breath guy. I used to be the endurance guy. I used to, you know, like, right. I used to be the running guy. Like it, right. I, I'm not the breath guy. By the time everybody really catches it up to what we're doing, we're not even talking about breathing. It's, it's breathing's just a tool. Um, and, and that's, that's the problem is that people don't realize how powerful of a tool it is because they mm -hmm. think everything they're doing covers that. Right. And if that were the case, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I can't convince you of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can only show you water, right? You're going to have to drink the water. Right. Um, and, and, and there's like, you know, look, there is not a thing we don't do. that doesn't require breathing. And an understanding of that. Our physiology is dependent on oxygen. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, I love how you say it's the first thing you do and it's the last thing you do and everything in between involves the breath. So you may as well be slightly literate in it. it just slightly. And that's all. And I mean, look, if you're a phenomenal mover, you're going to be pretty good at breathing. But I'll tell you right now, you're not what your ancestors were. Mm 
Yeah. I, can, I, can, I guarantee fucking tea it. Because the ancestors didn't have to worry about digging into breathing. They did it right. <laughs> well, they did because they actually had the facial structures and they, they were out here in the wild right. listening. You're in some gym or some room doing some weird fucking, you know, movement shit to, to mimic, you know, what your ancestors were doing throughout the day, which great. But like, it, it, no, and I mean, I do this weird shit. I have a gym and I do this stuff on a daily basis, right? Right. But, but we're all trying to hack what it is that we are biologically capable of because we are not biologically, we, we have not biologically evolved. We have devolved. Right. The evolution side of what we've done is more towards women's menstrual cycles earlier, um, hip size, hair color. Um, there, there, there's subtle nuances. There are these subtle things that we gave up. We gave up space here, right, in our bone structure mm -hmm. for here. Right. And there's no selection pressure. Like there's no survival pressure anymore. Right. Yeah. Like that's, I think yeah. I love how Frank Forge says like life is too easy to require physical, like true physical fitness, true, a true physical practice is now an option. And it's easy to not essentially vote into that option. Cause you don't have to, in order to, to survive, yeah. but you do in order to be healthy. This is what people don't understand. And like you said, it's like, you can give me water, but I have to drink it. Well, if I don't even know water is important, why the hell am I going to take the extra effort to yeah. put it to my mouth? Right? So yeah. I think I've always thought the blind spot is people literally just don't know how powerful breath is. And so they, so what reason would they have to look into it? Yeah. The so, awareness improving, but it's still, it, it's weird. I mean, it, it, it's the, the, the reason I glued down to this was because I saw multiple professional athletes who were hot performing at the highest level varying sports who had breathing dysfunctions hmm. we gotcha. are incredible at suffering we will suffer our brains out i've watched this crossfit like i've watched athletes who will last five or six years at the elite level and then they come out destroyed and it's not just because of what, it's not CrossFit. Mm -hmm. It's, I'm just going to suffer through this and, and punish myself versus understanding what I'm actually doing to myself and how I can progress this, you know? And so when you take it, an athlete at that caliber, who's, you know, arguably the fittest in the world and you, you know, like, and I've worked with the fittest in the world, but you take someone who's right up there and I have him breathe, you know, do some sort of routine on an, on a bike. Right. And he hits his limit, uh, like 140 heart rate. And he's just like, I can't continue to nasal breathe any further. I have to open my mouth at, at 140 beats. That's where the marker was. Perfect. We'll keep you below that for some time. A month later, he's at 170 beats a minute and he's nasal breathing and he feels like he can go all day. That doesn't sound like aerobic base training to me. No. Aerobic base training to me sounds like a fucking torture chest that I used to do that you would sit there and go longer and longer each week and just easy riding and, and you know, uh, just riding, running, whatever the fuck you're doing, right? And, and you would increase your ability to 
or function aerobically, right? And and you will, right? But how is it in a month I can take somebody and look at them metabolically, and we've tested it on metabolic carts, and completely rearrange their physiology and how they're using oxygen. And it's to this variable that we kind of been alluding to where it's like, dude, I mean, oxygen's, so there's the yin-yang, the, 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 you know, the yin-yang symbol. Mm-hmm. That is oxygen and carbon dioxide. Right. Oxygen cannot function without that carbon dioxide. And until we actually grasp what that carbon dioxide does, which is also what triggers ventilation patterns in the brainstem to occur, Okay, so that's what, that's what we pick up. We don't pick up. There's very, very, very little in our body that detects oxygen levels. Right. Very so little. It's your, so it's your CO2 tolerance. Yeah. CO2 tolerance becomes that thing. And it's how we've conditioned ourselves in patterning. And, dude, it's easy when I'm warming up to just go, right. yeah, I'm warming up. It needs to feel easy. Shut your mouth. But now what happens? Why am I sweating more? <laughs> Why do I feel warmer? But yeah. What are we doing? What's the point? <laughs> right? And, like, and I remember hearing uh, the first time, like I have a biology background. So the, you know, the mm-hmm. war effect and the shifting of the curve. Yeah. I knew all that stuff, but I never, I actually, totally. I, but I never had a, a, a practical understanding of it until I heard Patrick McKeown talk about it. He's like, when you're huffing and puffing because you think you need more oxygen, you are giving yourself less oxygen. Because you're doing a disservice to the ability to use the oxygen that's there because you're blasting away all the CO2 that triggers the oxygen to be released at a higher rate. And it's so counterintuitive. When I get tired, I huff and puff. I take shallow breaths. I lean on something. But when you actually breathe less, when you underventilate compared to what your usual (laughs) is, you actually end up feeling better once you get over, once you change your understanding so that your story is not, I'm once going to die. Once you change the brain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's so powerful. I, and yes. I've only dipped my toes in it and I'm like, holy shit, there's something here that yeah. many people are missing and I wish I would have known earlier. Yeah, and it's just become so, so the, the, the hard part of that question becomes it's ego. People right. that are staying away from this, it's ego. And the ego is, is that I already understand all this. I couldn't not understand something like this. Something so fundamental. <laughs> something so fundamental and easy. And you just, you just said what, I, bro, I've gone to the Cleveland Clinic and talked in front of 100 ER docs and nurses about the bore effect and how oxygen's utilized. And I've had several of them come up to me and be like, you know, it's so weird. We had all of this in medical school and nobody has ever been able to explain it in the practicality that you just did and made sense with. Right. Why are we missing this? You know, and it's like because of our egos, Mm -hmm. because medicine and technology did this hockey stick effect and they're still on that trajectory where our biology is still on this fucking almost like downward, slight downward slant because (laughs) things are getting so easy. Right. And so those of us that are paying attention to history, you know, which is important. And I, I kind of, I, I get harped on by a couple of people because I've hit, because I talk about history so much. Who are you getting harped on by? Well, I just some friends. They, they're like, you should think about the future more. I'm like, why do you think I'm thinking about looking at the past? I'm like, these things we missed that people were doing. And right. we, we are no, not even a shred of what they're capable of doing anymore. 
but mm -hmm. yet we still hold that same biology and we could now i'm not suggesting that we move out of our homes and go out into the wild and just do it even though there are people that do do that but i am suggestive of if, if we don't get in touch with nature and ourselves and understanding we we're going to have to be dependent on things that we're going to regret and we already do that all a lot yeah tony riddle says it well he says to live naturally you don't have to live in nature you just have to understand no. the elements of what are required to live naturally and i think this whole I think the whole ego thing is not actually the individual egos. It's our collective ego oh, yeah. of thinking, oh, well, your hip hurts. I'm just going to chop it off, put a metal one in. That's our ego saying, we are so advanced. We can just replace your parts. But what we don't realize is those parts suck compared to what we have built in stock. Correct. Do those parts repair themselves? No. Do no. those parts function half as well? No. So we need to just back it down a bit and say, hey, we have an insane piece of tech. We just don't know how to use it. Or yeah, we've, we've got the greatest technology that's ever been designed. Yeah. And in fact, the more external tech we use, the less we connect with the internal tech. And that's what I loved about your book with Galpin is like, okay, it's okay to use something to give you the signals that you've lost touch with. But there's a threshold where the more you use that, the further away you get from being able to depend on your own software, from your own sensors. And you have to get a point where it's like, okay, that gave me a bit of feedback to reconnect. Now I need to get in touch with my own signals because people are so, that, that's why people are so confused. I think with breath is they don't even know how to communicate with their own body. They've become no. internally illiterate. And so they're like, uh, I don't understand this. Well, that, that's why we use language like out, out, out here is nature. Yeah. Versus understanding that we are nature. Yes. Yeah. We are nature. There, that there is no, there's no line. Separa there is no separation. Right. But, but we're trying to do that because we think we're better. We behave as though we're better. And we're not. And we're getting, we're getting a dose of that right now. Yes, we certainly you are. Know? Like cheetahs aren't devolving. And we are. No. So no. stop thinking we're better than animals. We are animals. Yeah, we are. We are an animal. It's so silly. Yes. Oh, and yeah. one thing I like that you say that I've heard you say several times is how you breathe dictates how you move. Mm -hmm. And that's a really potent statement because, you know, I used to, I played rugby growing up mm -hmm. and I also swam competitively. So I, I could swim. I had great cardio reserve. I could swim. I went to two hour practices every morning. I could swim for a shitload of time and I was fine with breath. And then I go play rugby and rugby catered to me because I could run short distances. <laughs> I was a back and then I would relax and I would, the worst thing that was part of every practice was doing laps. Mm. And I thought it was so weird. I'm like, I get blasted. I get gassed after like, I don't know, 300 meters. And yet I can swim for two hours. What the hell is going on? And it wasn't until like years later, way after I graduated from physio school, I was like, oh, I ran like shit. So I didn't even give myself the opportunity to breathe. And my question to you yeah. is, was it the way, it's always chicken or the egg like I find because it's like, okay, was I breathing like shit that made me not move properly or was I moving terribly, which made me not breathe right. And I looked at swimming as okay, well, swimming is much less demand against gravity. So I think it's cause I was just moving terribly. What do you think? Um, the, I would say that by and large we move poorly yeah, generally. Okay. 
that in that in and of itself creates dysfunctional breathing patterns. I mean, look, man, I'm 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 doing some shoulder stuff right now. I don't have any shoulder injuries, but I, I'm really investing in opening my shoulders back up. And it it's crazy because like I've got a lot of lung capacity. I have a serious breath practice where I'm actually, you know, doing gut work, doing lung work, diaphragm diaphragm work. Um, but it's kind of interesting in the fact that like my shoulders are as tight as they are. And, you know, I'm like, every time I do work, I'm like, Jesus, there's so much more, there's so much more room. <laughs> I also like that you said investing because it, it does justice to the notion that like, you're not just going to hack your shoulders. Like, oh, you, just, you just spent two decades or at least I know I did. I spent two decades working extremely hard to fuck my hips up. Yeah. I was so consistent. It was amazing. I, I yeah. trained every day or I detrained every day. And to say that you're going to just, oh, I'm just going to work on my hip mobility. It's like, do you, okay, what do you define by work? Because if it's five minutes and 90, 90, it's going to be a while. But if you yeah. actually invest, and I think that even the word practice, you know, you have the verb practice. I'm going to practice something, build a skill. But I think the noun of practice is extremely underused and under and not very well understood. Like saying you have a practice, you have a breath practice or a yoga practice. What does a practice mean to you? When someone says, what is, what does your practice entail on a definition level? What is the noun of practice? What does it mean to Brian McKenzie? Yeah. Uh, that is, I'm invested from the, from my psychological to my physiological to the movement aspect of it cool um it's a whole systems approach how does this affect my my mental state how does this affect my physiological state and how does it affect my my state of movement and what i'm trying to achieve and what i'm looking to get out of this um you know and like look i have certain things that i gravitate to because i enjoy them right Mm -hmm. um like What's I'm always going to, yeah, it is, it is. And you know, like I'll become specialized to those things, mm-hmm. you know, that comes with consequence, but it's a consequence I'm willing to give up because it makes me happy. Right? right. So that's where that understanding has to come in. And you know, for me, it's a practice is a process and the a practice means I have to actually be invested in it for what it, I, I'm, I'm present with not an end goal. There is no end goal. Right. There's never been an end goal with me. And this is why I struggle sometimes with a lot of people in business where, you know, people like I'll, I'll get involved with somebody on the business side or they want to get involved. And it's like, look, so what's the end goal with this? And like, where can we go? And I'm like, the, I, there is no end goal right now. I, I want to evolve the goal. Uh, yeah. The process is the goal. And I want to evolve this in, as best as I can. If there's an out at some point or whatever, we figure that out and we do that. Right. But mm-hmm. That's not my, you know, this is why I'm terrible sometimes in business, right? Like, you know, but that's why it's not my, my thing. You know, yeah, that's why I get involved with other people with that. Yeah. And even maybe it's that the, the way we do business is broken. Not that you're. Oh, not I'm, good I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with the fact that I'm not. <laughs> Look, as long as I can live the lifestyle I want to live and I, and I don't, and I can wipe my own ass. Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I'm good. You know, somebody asked me, I just, I just did a, uh, I do this Facebook live thing for our, our, our subscribers every Friday. And one of the questions was, um, 
what are you going to miss about this COVID, about this quarantine thing? And I'm like, it, it won't end for me. I've lived this lifestyle for about four years now. I moved to the middle of nowhere in Oregon and I lived there for a year. Nobody around, no, like nowhere. Definitely. And then came back to Northern California where I took that aspect of what I did. And even though I'm, you know, around other people, I just, I still do my thing and I'm in my world, right? I'm close to the people. I hold tight five or six people real tight. And then there's that other layer, you know, and then it's like everything, like I don't, I'm not a big go into the city guy. Like I, I'm 20 miles outside of San Francisco, but I'm tucked back enough into the, you know, hills and trails and trees that I'm, I'm wicked comfortable, man. Like this is, I, I don't plan on this ending. I that's plan a, on it continuing. That's a great, oh, that's a great lifestyle. I, I can relate to a lot of parts of that because I'm actually more comfortable interacting with nature than I am mm -hmm. with most humans, the vast mm -hmm. array of humans. And I, uh, I'm not saying uh, that's not a, a judgment call of it's a me problem or them problem. It's just, that's just how it is. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a really, you know, I always found it interesting where you're like, okay, you ask someone to go to a cottage or something like that. Or you say, yeah, I went out, I went out and spent some time at the lake for like five days. I was just solo. And they're like, oh, that must've been so boring. And in your head, you're like, you don't understand. Mm. No, <laughs> you, but, but here's the thing. I think everybody does better with nature. I agree. They just don't it's, realize we're it. so disconnected right. that we're, we can't do, we can't be connected to the things that we think are a part of consumerism. Mm -hmm. And I like, look, I mean, I'm as, I'm as complicit as anybody in all of this, you know, like I have an iPad, I have an iPhone, I ha I'm on social media. Like, you know, I don't spend exorbitant amount of times on it, but I catch myself routinely. I'm like scrolling through, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Like, like, I got better shit. To, I got so much stuff to be doing right now, and I'm caught up in this wheel. And I don't think it's about. I don't think it's about never doing that. I think it's just about no. catching yourself earlier and recognizing it, because that's where the difference is. It's like we're not. None of us are immune to the billions of dollars in the attentional economy sucking us into the matrix. Like we're not. No, anyone yeah. that says they're immune to that, bullshit. Unless you yeah. have a flip phone and you're never around tech, you're not immune to it. Totally. But detect it sooner when you get roped into the wheel and then you can bump yourself out and then you just get, it's like a muscle. The faster you detect it, the better you get at detecting it in the future. And that's, that's the difference. It's not never getting roped in. It's not about never eating shit food or exploring or just like diving deep into the explore feed. It's detect it sooner. And then you're doing yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing, man. And it's so addictive. You know, it's so addictive. <laughs> Dude, I was, I'm reading a book right now um, on behavioral addiction and I, I literally, I started reading it and I stopped reading it for a while. And I was like, why the hell am I stopping reading this? This is a great book. And I realized it's because I was scared of the shit they were saying because I was doing all of it. This, is why, like, people, this is why people are afraid of psychedelic experiences. <laughs> right. Because you got to be they're afraid. They're afraid they're going to see something that they actually know is there that they're going to have to change and they don't want to change it. I agree. They're afraid they're going to have to meet themselves and come to terms with the fact that they need to, they need to get to know themselves. Yeah. <laughs> the and I mean, look, you, don't, you don't need psychedelics for that either. You just need to be so brutal. You just need to be brutally honest with yourself. 
and be able to peel that layer. Unfortunately, so many people are so disconnected, they're not able to even get to that layer. It's such, it's such like external layers of peeling that, you know, people don't understand that those things are just like the first part of what's a dozen deep, you know? <laughs> right. I think, I think a couple of those onion layers got peeled back in as a generalization because of this whole fear pandemic. I refuse to say the word. Yeah. COVID. I'm just, it's, I think a couple layers are getting peeled off. There's a long way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, for myself included, but I think being, putting the world on pause has done a lot of good things. If you're looking for the good things, you'll find them. But um, yeah, I think it's a really powerful thing. And, I, and like I've had the most psychedelic or not psychedelic, but one of the most spiritual moments that I've ever had. Uh, I actually, if I kind of went into tailspin and breath was what brought me back. And that, that was one of the most powerful I went to like this spa that does saunas and cold uh, and I took some uh, of a certain fungi before I went in there and they had this one, they do this thing called an alphagus where they put balls of ice with essential oils and they flailed the hot air at you and there's like rounds and I thought I was going to be a hero and I sat on the highest level right after I took this little bite of nature and I was just, I was freaking out hard. But the minute I started just thinking of my breath, it's it, the minute I tuned into that, it didn't actually let me overthink things anymore. I was just being, I couldn't actually overthink how scary it was because I was just tuning in and it was actually, I found pleasure in the suffering. It sounds weird and it's hard to explain to people, but breath, I, you know, breath is such a powerful element to, to getting back control over your physiology. Like it's shocking. What, what is your, you know, you say you work with, some of the higher level people, do you use, do you find that the mental element of what breath can do is as powerful as the physiological, like the physical element? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're the same. Right. Um, yeah. That's true. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we like to, we like to separate things, you know, like, you know, the mental or the physiological. And the thing is, is they're not, they're inseparable. Right. They're an they're an they're an inseparable truth, and that they're a part of a system, a whole system, and that system is interconnected. And so, when the physiology is off, the mind's off, right? And so, what is psychology? In most cases, and what we think is just misunderstood physiology. And you know, we the the problem is is that you know, in today's psychology, there's no, there's not enough people who understand physiology. Or requiring people that actually in the psychiatry world that, you know, because this is where prescriptions start to come in, right? That aren't requiring people to actually move or get their physiology into a state that actually allows them to function from a mental aspect, right? And understand it. You know, like I have seen, I've worked with a lot of therapists um, personally and for professional reasons, right? like in doing work and trying to understand trauma, PTSD, all of these things that I get hit with from people. I mean, cause I get riddled with people who want, who want me to help them. And it's like, I, I'm only able to do so much with my, you know, uh, profession, right? Like in where my limitations are with that. So it's like, I got to go understand this stuff to some degree. And so at no point in, in any of the work that I've done has anybody in the psychology or, psychi or psychiatry world ever asked me or anybody I've asked questions of, how much do you move a day? And that in itself poses one of the largest problems that I understand 
in terms of our mental health. Because yes. we know for a fact that exercise in any regard creates a global uh, increase in energy efficiency and how our physiology works. This is just a fact that we all kind of understand, right? So why is that? Well, you're increasing your ability to transport oxygen. You're increasing your ability to use that oxygen. You know, this is where that starts to parlay into, well, what, what does that mean? What, well, and then it can increase your ability to use nit nitric oxide systemically. Um, you, you start to, all of the functionality of the glucocorticoid responses, you know, cortisol, all of these things that have a role within stress start to get optimized as a result of that. Now, we know plenty of people who go overboard with all this fucking training stuff and overshoot the cortisol markers and all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the problem with us in misunderstanding. And this is the problem where we, where on the other side of things, you've got athletes who are perform or doing so damn much. You know, I remember working with my ex-wife and her team, uh, she, she was a, a two-time Olympic gold medalist in rowing. And each of the women, when they would lose their period, meaning they no longer got their period, it was like a rite of passage. They were like, yes, I'm finally at this point where I'm training enough. And it's like, you don't understand what's going on right now. Yeah. And I started talking to more and more female professional athletes, like high level in different sports. Turns out it's kind of a badge of honor in most sports because they think because it's this thing that they're doing that. No, you just overshot right. what you're doing. You're now, even though you're fit in what you're doing, you're actually suppressing your ability to respond. And you've overshot that mark. And so then it becomes like, well, what do we do? Well, how do we get somebody who thinks that training is their answer to understand it's not? And it's like, then you've got somebody who won't get up off the couch and is complaining about anxiety all day, right? Like, fuck. You know, like. <laughs> That's the signal. What, what do we do? That's signal. Like, why do we have, we all deal with anxiety. We all get that feeling throughout our day. It's right. just most of us understand what it means and then we back off or do something in order to mitigate that response, right? Mm. And so how do we actually get people to understand that? And it just so happens, holy shit, how I breathe is tied into that entire thing. Yes. So I can take control of it at any time I want. Is breathing the answer? Absolutely not. Part Absolutely not. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tool. It's a great tool that allows me to understand, oh shit, something's off. My breathing's off right now. I've been talking for 20 fucking minutes straight. I should probably shut up and let this person talk now and bring myself to calm down because I've been talking. I've been blowing off carbon dioxide. I've been putting myself into a heightened arousal state. I don't know why I, I can't sleep tonight because I've been going all day talking on phone calls, but I haven't done any movement. So I should go work out right now because I've just gassed myself all day talking to people. Wait a second. Do you understand what you've just said? You know that chess <laughs> players in, in, in tournaments can burn up to 6,000 calories a day, not doing anything other than moving chess pieces. Why? Because of the brain. We're moving a lot of energy still. Yeah. It requires energy. It turns out free divers diving up and down can burn almost 1,000 calories a day while keeping their heart rate lower than your and mine resting. Why are they doing that? How is that happening? It turns out heart rate's not a way to manage energy, just an intensity marker. So 
what are we doing to understand physiology and, and how we're getting there? And it's like, that's all I'm trying to do is bring basic biology up to the front and go, look, we are capable of so much more. This technological machine is the most advanced fucking, has the most advanced hardware in its DNA and software and the proteins that work with it. And the cells are the factories that are fucking just unbelievable and know what to do if we treat them well. And we pay attention to what we're feeling and use our senses to interpret what's going on and not overthink things too much. That's so crazy. It's, it's, there's so much of that signal misinterpretation. And it's funny you say that wrong story because I used to date uh, a national level Canadian rower and, huh? and I, would have the, I would have the talk with her and she's like, yeah, oh, amenorrhea? Yeah, it's, uh, there's not one girl on the team that doesn't have it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so there's not what, so really what you just said is there's not one girl on the team that's overtrained <laughs> beyond their capacity. And I think it's one of the, there's no free lunch. No, like if you, if just you, consequences. It just con- and if you think that you can just keep blasting through that, you're going to be stuck. You're going to hit a spike strip at some point. It's like, how long do you want to go until you hit it? And how hard do you want to hit that thing? And yeah. it's just, you know, looking at anxiety, if you help people reframe anxiety as, or even pain, Let's look even more basic. Pain is the most misunderstood thing by the general public and the medical community where it's like, oh, you got pain? All right, let's get rid of that. It's like, if your house is on fire and your fire alarm is ringing, do you just get rid of the fire alarm or do you try and put out the fire? And no one, it's this mass misinterpretation where it's so weird. And why is the fire alarm going off every time you cook? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, even exactly. And it's just this weird thing. We eliminate the, the important, like the body has these amazingly elegant feedback mechanisms in place. Pain, beautiful. Anxiety, beautiful. Depression, mm-hmm. beautiful. Because yeah. they're all very important. And if all yes. you do is shut them out and never deal with the shit that caused the problem, how do you think you're going to improve? It would be silly to think you would. And yet this is the status quo in, in the way we think of things. And I, I it all boils down to ego. We just don't understand this innate intelligence is so much smarter than us. Oh. Of course it is. It's millions of years old. It's been tested through the gauntlet for millions of years. And we just, yeah, man. because we have computers, we're chimps with computers. We just know everything now. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things we're missing because we've just, we are putting on the shoulders of the medical community and then these tech geeks that like, you know, kudos to them for their, you know, ability to create great things and do great things but i mean dude i've been connected to some of those higher up multi-billionaire like tech moguls they're fucking mess a mess they have their their anxiety and depression and every ailment you can think of because they don't understand this aspect of things and they're trying and we're trying to create things that totally disenfranchise our own system just completely and become dependent on something that it's going to tell us oh i'm going to put on my strap that's going to give me now now they're looking at respiration rate great i can tell you right now if you're wearing anything on your wrist or your peripheral it's absolutely unequivocally off it's not tell it's not giving you accurate information it's giving you consistent information, right. but it ain't accurate. And so and what are you doing getting, with that information? Because yeah, that's way exactly, more important. Exactly. You know? And so even to myself where I've used these things to track, I'm like, 
look, I've been riding a bike and I've, I've got expensive equipment on expensive shit that we spend money on to understand things. And it's telling me my respiration rate is at like 20 breaths a minute when I'm holding one breath every six seconds, that's 10 fucking breaths a minute. That's double. That's split in half of what, what is the base on your heart rate? My, the expansion of my chest supposedly. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. The, the peripheral things are actually, those are heart rate oriented, which tells you how far off they are. They think they can detect respiration rate through our actual heart rate on the peripheral. And it, there isn't a single time it's ever gotten accurate with what yeah. I've seen in, in this. And I've spent thousands of dollars on this stuff, you know, and then it's like, so we buy expensive metabolic carts. I go up to the university and we put it on. It's like, all right, let's, 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 let's see what this means when I'm at 200 watts on this bike and I'm okay. mouth breathing and then I'm nasal breathing. Oh, wait. And these guys just go, what did you just do? <laughs> you're, you're, you're using completely different energy system right now. It turns out controlling my breathing has an, an, an crazy impact on how I'm using oxygen. Yogi's figured eh? this out 5,000 years ago. Don't move any faster than you can't control your breathing. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. That's like an outlier statement right now, which is so weird. Yeah. It, like I remember one time uh, I was talking to someone. I'm like, man, I think dolphins are really smart. Like ra sort of random tangent. But, but the guy was like, yeah, but we're way smarter. Like we have cell phones. I was like, they don't need them. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't, they can already communicate long distances without needing them. So just because they don't have them, it doesn't mean they're not advanced enough. They're so advanced, they don't need them. And I think we have so many elements of our body that are so advanced, Correct. we don't need the fancy sensors. And in fact, when we have the fancy sensors, we start to drown in information and lose touch with even how to use the information and whether it's even accurate or not. And I think it's just super weird. Um, Joe Rogan does a rad bit on that, on, his on one of his stand-ups. -up, stand He's like, how do we fucking know? Did, you know, when we all came out of the water, dolphins are like, you know what? Fuck that. I don't want to get out of the water. I'm staying, yeah, I'm staying here. here. <laughs> We're staying here. We're going to evolve down here. You go do all that crazy shit outside of the water. Yeah. Let us know how that works for you. Yeah. Let us know how it works. Fight your wars. Uh, all right. Well, time flies because it's already, we got 10 minutes left. So one thing I Perfect. wanted to talk about yeah. before the end of this, and I heard you on the Chatterjee podcast, and that was an yeah. amazing podcast. That was great, oh, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. But one thing you touched on and that I can definitely relate to as someone who's um, done, done some presenting and you know, done workshops and seminars is the art of storytelling uh -huh. and the power that we can harness from telling a story instead of preaching information. Uh. And so like, what is your take on, because it is an art. It is not a, there's not a one way to do it. Everyone is going to do it differently. Your way of presenting is to be very different than mine. And both of them have their merits and both of them are actually extremely valuable. Cause if you have, if we all did it the same way, it would lose a ton of its value. So yeah. what is your, you know, when did that perspective, have you always held that perspective that when I teach people, I'm really crafting the art of telling stories that people find, cause that's how humans learn. We learn over, we learn through story. We don't learn through journal articles right? You can use that as information, but that's not how you truly learn and take something into your soul. You do that by connecting with another human being who has an experience that you, that you trust. Okay. This guy, this dude has done some shit, has done the work. I know he's got a unique perspective that I can learn from whether I implement it exactly or not. 
how did you start to frame things as storytelling instead of just teaching? And when did that, you know, how has that journey been for you? Uh, I mean, it probably started when I first got tasked with presenting to people and how terrible I was at it. I mean, I, like I literally read off of a screen, right. you know, uh, and I was terrified, you know, cause you know, public speaking at that time was a very difficult thing. Um, now it's, it really is nothing because I don't even feel like I'm really having a conversation with anybody. I'm just going up to talk, to talk about what I understand and tell a story. Right. Um, and, you know, I've long felt that um, comedians are probably the, the, the most intelligent people on a well-rounded scale in the world. Hmm. Um, you take IQ and IQ is an untrainable thing. It just is what it is. Um, and so emotional intelligence is actually a trainable thing. And, you know, you can actually train your emotional intelligence to become better at emotions. But we get, we, we silo ourselves very quickly into where we get good at things. And intelligence is one of those things that we've grabbed onto that it's like, you know, I, I, this is going to be a crude fucking statement. But okay. it's like, it's like dudes. Or, or anybody talking about dick size as if it had anything to do with anything you were able to do. Right, right, right. It's the wrong right? metric. <laughs> I, this is just what I got. <laughs> I, I can't do any amount of training with this thing, regardless yeah. of what it is, you know? And yet, we sit there and almost glorify it as though it's something that we is trainable and you can do something, you know, like... And it's like, this is the same, in the same vein, this is what we do with things like intelligence. And I don't think we truly understand what intelligence is. I think that most animals that I've come in contact in the wild, from shark to big cat to big, you know, wild dog to whatever, snakes, um, they have an intelligence that we have lost. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I feel like comedians, and I'm bringing this into your question is comedians have done such a good job at understanding. They have to be up to date on current events. They have to hold some level of IQ. They have to be emotionally pretty tied together to be up in front of people and be able to handle a crowd. And they have to be able to tell a good damn story. Yes. They're, and I, so, look at, I look at stand-up comedians as attention wizards. They basically, they basically, mesmerize you into giving them your attention and right yeah. now people's attention span is nano sized so the fact that yeah. they can do that you're right and there's so many things that go into that reading yeah, the, the crowd great, everything. totally totally and the great thing is is that i don't actually want to be a stand-up comedian but i hold this this art in on high form right i just love telling stories about the things that i've learned and so you know it's like you know, we, we really grabbed onto this um, story a long time ago about the lion and the antelope. And, and, and we parlay this to people in that we're a part of the same world. We're animal too. But every day in Africa, the lion and the antelope wake up or coexist together, right? The lion sleeps for almost 20 plus hours a day right? Doesn't do shit. He's lazy as shit. I mean, and do you know why the lion's the king of the jungle? Because 
because they're cats that hunt in packs. Right. <laughs> like it's real simple. Big ass cat that hunts in pack. If a lion's solo, it's not going to beat hyenas. Right. Hyenas are intelligent. They're intelligent. They're intelligent, right? So are antelope. And they stay in packs and they're very aware of things and they coexist most of the time without any problems. But when the lion gets hungry and you decide it's on, the lion can flip that switch and go into that prey mode. And the, the antelope instantly knows that this is going on. And so he'll feel the, it'll feel the energy and be like, Oh, something's going on. I'm on alert. Then boom, the lion goes and he goes after the antelope. And these two animals go after it, it's, it's hunter and hunted and it's on. And we've all seen this on the nature channel. We've all seen this on whatever fucking we've watched. Now remove the visual and now put up a screen like your dashboard on your car and pretend the dashboard is their physiology, heart rate, respiration rate, or ventilation rate, you know, uh, uh, pupil size, all of these things, right? Each animal's physiology is up on the scoreboard. Identical. Identical. Except for one thing. The lion, wants, the lion wants to be there. The antelope does not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And here's the power of being human. And I'm not suggestive that you need to be in this situation. But the moment that we decide we want to be in a situation, we can become the lion. Or we'll just remain the antelope. And we've got the power to be both of these things. And that's great. We should use that power. But the fact is, is we don't use that power to want to be in the situations that we've created for ourselves enough. We, we, we want to blame others. We want to victimize ourselves. And don't get me wrong. There's shit that happens in the world that's bad. And there are problems and there's victims to things. But the fact of the matter is, is choices exist at every front. I do a lot of work inside the prison system. I go to San Quentin every week. I've been able to go during COVID, but um, you know, I work with inmates there and I've never had an experience like I've had there. And I talk about this stuff all the time, but these guys want to learn so bad. They want to understand these things. And it's like, it's crazy that you see people who, when they have, they go without things like that. And it's, I tell the story, I tell them a story too, that really rings to a lot of these individuals is that, you know, there are a group of people that choose to give up all possessions, move to the middle of nowhere, isolate themselves for the remainder of their lives, learn to breathe and meditate and find enlightenment. And they eat once or twice a day. They call themselves monks. What do you want to do with your time? Can't change that your time is going on. Can't change that you're here for 30 fucking years. I'm sorry. You did something. You got to pay the price for that. How you choose to do your time is entirely up to you. And the difference between you and that monk is that monk made a decision to go where he's at. You don't think you made a decision to get here. And if you can come to grips with that, now you can start to look at your time a little differently and what you can learn about what you're going to do here. Wow. Wow. That gave me like goosebumps just picturing how a room of inmates would take that in. And the people who are dudes. ready for it. 30 wow. dudes and most of them have killed people. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, like, it didn't, it's not like I did that on the first fucking day, right? right the first right, day right. I went there, I was like, fuck, where am I? I'm in San Quentin. Holy <laughs> shit. Like, then it, like, it took some time, but these guys love me. I feel it. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I just, just trust me here. Like, what do you want out of this? Mm -hmm. I know I don't, I know I don't have this experience, but I am coming in here and I do see you weekly and I'm giving you my time because I know I've learned something that I know can help you. 
if you want to take the time to understand it. Right. And understanding is the cure for anything. The problem is, is we don't want a cure. We want relief. Yes. And they seem to be mutually exclusive. They are. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, Brian, this has been awesome. I hope we can do this again at some point because I had a shitload of stuff I wanted to talk about, but we got into the, the really Anytime. Of it. Anytime, man. I appreciate you giving your time. I'm sure everyone was very, um, just love those stories. You're a good storyteller. You're an amazing storyteller. And I look forward to hearing some stories again. So everyone Thanks, listening, man. I hope that benefited you. Um, and uh, Brian was very generous to give us time. Thank you for yeah, that. If you guys, uh, like, so if they want a dose of the stuff that we're doing around all this stuff, like we've got breath control work, all this stuff yes, behind our subscription. So behind our subscription, it's PSE pro. If they use the code foot yep. PSE, they'll get a free month. Cool. To just play around and screw around with this stuff awesome. and see how we're integrating it. And we have the, all of our educational stuff that's coming through there as well, to where I'm talking in deeper context about like, well, why nasal breathing? What's the importance of this? How, what does it affect? What's the deeper layers of this stuff? And then, you know, we're putting all this stuff into context. Our webinars are on there. They can get those for free after we've done them. Um, all of it remains on there so that they can continue to understand why we're going after this stuff and how it transcends into everything else we do. Powerful. Thank you, Brian. So that's pscpro.com slash foot. Powerspeedendurance.com and then PSE Pro is right on the front. Just click on it, sign up, put in the foot, put in the code foot PSE. Amazing. Thanks again, Brian. Folks, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.